all be familiar with uh, the organization uh, ICC, International China Concern. Uh, many of us got the opportunity to visit um, their projects in China. Uh, they, they run uh, uh, centers, orphanages for children, um, teenagers, and there are even adults and seniors there too as well, uh, who are um, abandoned. And a lot of them are, have disabilities too. So um, I've personally witnessed the amazing work that ICC is doing in China, and many of us here have too. So uh, would you guys just uh, give a warm welcome to the uh, founder and also the executive director of ICC, David Gott. Morning. Can you hear me in the back? Yeah, good. I'm getting some nods. It's great to be with you this morning and to just have an opportunity to come and share with you. It seems to be about once a year I get to stand up and talk with you. And usually it's just for a few short minutes and I'm normally saying, Walk the wall is coming up. Are you going to be there? And normally you all yell back, Of course we are. Walk the wall is coming up. Are you going to be there? That was really half-hearted. Are you going to be there? That was still half-hearted. Are you going to be there? Okay, good. Good. If you're now wondering what Walk the Wall is and what it's all about, uh, this is in your um, bulletin this morning. And you can go online, take a look, learn about it, learn about the work of ICC if you don't know. Um, and one thing you've got to promise me is if you do go online and learn about it, that you'll also sign up to get involved. Because getting involved is what makes a difference in the world. I'm really thankful for VCBC for walking with ICC over a, a long number of years now. Um, I think it's probably been well over 10 years that ICC and VCBC have been working together to impact and change the lives of abandoned children in China. And so I do hope I'll see you there at the end of September, September 28th, and that you'll join us in a really fun and meaningful event that has a direct impact on the lives of many, many, many hundreds of children. Okay, will you join me in prayer as we pray for the time that we're going to share together now? Well, Jesus, I'm a bit nervous this morning. I'm nervous because um, I feel like the message that you've put in my heart for this morning is, is not really an easy one. It's not an easy one necessarily to speak, and nor is it an easy one to hear. Uh, Lord, sometimes you want to make us uncomfortable. Sometimes you want to challenge us and you want to cause us to take a long, hard look at ourselves. Not, Lord, for the purpose of making us feel guilty, but for the purpose of helping us understand that there can be greater freedom to enjoy in our lives, greater opportunities to engage with your kingdom, to be part of your work in this world, Lord Jesus, to take hold of the baton that you pass to us and to run the race, Lord, with passion and strength. And so I pray this morning for each person here that you would open their hearts to hear what you want to say. And I pray and ask for myself that you would help me to put down the things that are of myself and only to offer, Lord, that, is, that which is of you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just this past week in the city of Henyang, which is one of the areas that ICC works with, a little baby girl was abandoned. Very, very small. She was left on the street by somebody. We don't know who. It could have been her mother, could have been her father, could have been her grandmother. This little girl had been born with HIV. 
And she was brought to the Hunyang Welfare Centre and the test showed that she had HIV. And if you'd have been there, I wonder what you would have thought of the response that then began to take place. Staff, I don't want to touch her. I'm not picking her up. People wanting nothing to do with her, refusing to even touch her, go anywhere near her. This little baby girl who has been born into abandonment and disease in a situation where nobody wants anything to do with her. And for us, we know that even though that girl has been born with that disease, that in all likelihood, that disease will not bring the end of her life. The thing that will bring the end of her life is the purposeful neglect, the refusal to care for her because of fear, starvation, eventually pain, dehydration and death. That little girl will die. But does it have to be that way? Should it be that way? What do you think? Is that okay? Is it okay for a little baby girl to lie on a bed and starve to death and not be given water, to never be picked up and held, for her to waste away and one day die? Is that okay? Okay. Maybe you're not sure. (laughs) Is it okay? No, it's not. And we know it, don't we? It's not okay. It wouldn't be okay if it was your child, your nephew, your niece, your brother, your sister, and it's certainly not okay just because that baby and that child is in a place in China, has been abandoned, is in an orphanage in China. What makes the difference? What will it take for her life to be different? I'll tell you. It takes a lady called Diane. Diane Hall. That's her name. From Australia. I'm going to ask you to pop that first photograph up for me. This is Diane. And that's the baby girl I'm talking about. Her being held in Diane's arms. Living now, actually, in Diane's house. In Hanyang, in China. Waking up every morning now to be fed and cared for and nurtured and loved. She still has HIV. Diane would tell you that she's not a hero. She's a married lady. She's a mother of three children. She's a grandmother of actually many children. But today, because of Diane, this little baby's life is completely different. She would be embarrassed to know that I'm stood here this morning telling you that she is a hero. That she is a hero. Because she would say, don't be stupid, David. I'm not a hero. I'm just an ordinary follower of Jesus Christ. I'm just living the life that Jesus calls us to live, that every Christ follower is called to live. But it isn't the life that every Christ follower is living, is it? If we're really honest. It's quite different from the lives that many of us lead and choose sometimes to lead. What makes Di different is this. It's her willingness to let the true plight of the lost impact her. It's her willingness to let God's heart, God's broken heart, shape the life that Diane is living. She knows that there's a world out there and it's full of babies that have been abandoned and children that are suffering and being abused. That it's populated with people that have broken lives 
and that some of those children and those people just can't wait any longer. Would you pop up the next photograph for me? This is Yen Yen. And this is what happens when there isn't a Diane. Can we go to the next one for me? Next photo, thank you. Yen Yen was born with Downs. Because of that, she was abandoned. She was abandoned in, to the Hanyang Welfare Centre again. And this is what happened. This isn't how she arrived. But this is what happened. Starvation. Malnutrition. Neglect. Look at that photo. Really look at it. I know you want to turn away. I know that we don't want to see it. But we need to. The tragedy of the world that we live in is heartbreaking. But is your heart breaking? Honestly, is it? When you see that, how does it impact you? What's the feelings that you have? For most of us, it's the feeling of wanting just to turn the image off and not to have to look at it anymore. Not necessarily a feeling of pain and understanding of the heart of God. The heart of God that compels us and moves us to do something. Does this image, image touch you? You can turn that image off for me now, thank you. You don't need it on the screen anymore. I sometimes imagine a dialogue going on between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I imagine this conversation where the Father is talking with the Son and the Spirit and they're talking about the pain and the suffering that has come into the world with Adam and Eve and with the decision that they made to walk away from that intimate relationship that they shared with God. I imagine them talking and feeling and weeping over the pain of sin and self-centeredness that they see in each individual's life as a result of that fall. And as they see that sin and self-centeredness, their hearts are breaking too because they know every single hair on the head of every single person, that is how close they are to the sin and the suffering that goes on in the world. They know that we were knitted together in our mother's womb for purposes of glory. And yet what they see is murder and abuse and neglect and selfishness and self-centeredness. Babies that are born and abandoned. Children that are abused and sold into slavery. Murder, betrayal, lies, selfishness, sickness, death. And then because of the great love that causes them to know the number of hairs on every head, because of that great love, there is a moment in time when a decision is made A decision has to be made either to stay in the perfection of heaven, the wonder of perfect communion, of ease and comfort and joy in extreme, or to leave it behind and to go. To leave, to break, to leave, move away from the Trinity. For one of them to go into the world, to go as a messenger, to go and to bring hope and life. Again, you you can turn the image off the screen now. That would be great. Thank you. And so Jesus goes. He leaves heaven. And we know the story. And he comes to earth and he begins a journey, doesn't he? A journey that is full of joy and laughter because we see these great stories in Scripture of Jesus throwing his head back and laughing and having a great time at the wedding in Canaan and all of these wonderful stories. 
But we also see sadness and we see pain as Jesus walks through a world of brokenness and selfishness and hurt and judgment. He eventually dies on the cross. And he does it for us, for you, for me, for everyone, for murderers and betrayers and for the betrayed. And through the giving of his life, we, humanity, are given the ultimate gift, which is salvation. Something that I would imagine that each and every one of you is enjoying right now. The knowledge, the deep, deep knowledge in your heart that you have been saved. That God has taken you from the kingdom of darkness and he's put you into the kingdom of light. He's taken you, facing eternity without him, into an opportunity to live in eternity with him. He has saved you. And as part of that invitation into eternity and salvation, he invites you to go with him. To go. The disciples experience it, don't they? Right alongside him, they go. They get on the road, they pack up their bags, they throw on their cloak and they go to villages and they preach the gospel and they share the good news. They cast out demons and they see lives transformed. And then in Matthew 28, we are commissioned to go. We're commissioned to go. Therefore, go into all the world. Go. What does it take for babies like Yen Yen to have a future rather than death? What does it take for the little girl with HIV to be nurtured and cared for? What does it take? It takes going. And we go not just in our own strength and in our own weakness because we are weak. I know that. In my journey with ITC over the last 20 years, I feel nothing really but inadequate most of the time until I remember this that in the promise, or rather in the command to go, there's also the promise that we will do even greater things. That something has been planted inside of us, a power, the Spirit of God, that enables us to go and to take the life of God into a broken world and in our inadequacy to see something marvellous and wonderful happen. ICC just celebrated 20 years of ministry. I can't believe it. It blows my mind. I don't feel like I'm 20 years older, but putting that aside, it blows my mind. How is that possible that this thing that was spoken into my heart and I am nothing special has had 20 years of life impacting hundreds and hundreds of children and saving them, giving them that opportunity? It's an amazing picture, this image of Jesus running a race running this race and he gets to his point where his little finish line is and he does this and he's holding a baton in his hand and he's holding it out and he's waiting for the church of God to grab it and to start running to run and continue on that race and he's saying go go on go because he knows it's a race this isn't just tea parties it's a race it's a race for life and it's a race for eternity and for salvation of people's souls and people's lives. This is the church. This is what we are here for, the people of God. Not to sit, but to grab hold of the baton that Jesus offers out to each and every one of us. To take hold of it and to run, to go. And I see this. I see the people of God being handed this baton. And it is placed into their hand by Jesus. 
they look down at it as if to say, what is this? And some people drop it. Some people just wander away off the track. Jesus is saying, go. People are actually walking off the track and sitting eating popcorn and drinking soda because that's what they think it's about. It's not. Why? Why, when there is a race that we have been called to run, do we think it's okay to sit and eat popcorn and drink soda? There is a race happening. And it's not a race without a competitor. You see, there is somebody running on that track who wants to win. He really, really wants to win. The enemy. He wants every person off that track, every believer off. He wants us all to look at that baton and drop it and walk away. He wants us all to think that eating popcorn and drinking soda and sitting in the stands waiting for somebody else to run the race is what it's all about. He wants us never even to get out of the starting gate. He doesn't want us to even get off the blocks. The enemy just wants to see us stop and never go anywhere. He doesn't want us to win. In Isaiah 6, God shows us what it takes. You see, a cry rings out from heaven. Who shall I send? Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? It is the cry of God. And it's a cry that emanates out of the heart of God because of his deep passion for the world and his incredible heartbreak of the pain and suffering that he sees. He wants to do something to make it right. He wants people to know his life and his love and his salvation. And so he cries out, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The prophet Isaiah heard this in Isaiah 6. He heard it. People down through the history of the church have heard this cry from the heart of God. If we listen carefully today, you will hear it. God still crying out, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And this is what I see. Jesus holds out the baton, willing us to grasp hold of it. And as that baton is dropped and we go to sit in the bleachers, go sit in the sands, I see believers choosing to live self-centred lives instead of Christ-centred lives. I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. Each of us has to search our own heart to understand the kind of life we're being called to live and whether we're being faithful to what God is saying to you and to me. My race is not your race in the sense that my particular journey may not be your particular journey. But every one of us is called to be on that track, running that race. But for too many, the response is a self-centred one. This isn't my race, Jesus. That's your race or somebody else's race. I'm going to go do this, actually. Well, I think I'll go do that. Uh, this job, that career, this educational opportunity, because I want to do this. And I want to do that thing. I want the money and the house and the respect and the power. I want the position and the wife and the husband and the children. None of those things in and of themselves are wrong. Of course they're not. It's when we put them in front of what Jesus is, the life that Jesus is calling us to live 
the race that he's calling us to run. Your race isn't my race, Jesus. Is that you this morning? Are you in that place where you know in your heart you're saying that to him? Is there something when you think about the life he's calling you to lead, the life he's calling you to live for him, that you know is between you and him, it's the thing that you can't let go of, that you won't let go of? In 1 Corinthians 6.20 we're told this, you were bought at a price. Never forget that. You were bought at a price. You do not belong to yourself. Luke 9.23 Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You were bought at a price. And sometimes we need a reminder of the price that was paid for us. Not only the cost of what Jesus had to pay, but the cost of what salvation requires us to give, requires you to give. Okay, Jesus didn't die and buy you at a price so you can sit in the stands. Jesus died and bought you at a price so that you could take up your cross and follow him. And Jesus isn't sitting in the stands. Jesus is running the race. And that's what he's expecting of you. For you to follow, for you to run that race. As a serious follower of Jesus, you don't get the opportunity or the right to hold things back. I know what I'm saying to you is hard. Hard words. But it's true. You don't. It's not an option. You may think it's an option, but it's not. This isn't your own race. There's no such thing as your race. There's just Jesus' race. Whatever that path is, whatever it looks like, whether it's in Vancouver, whether it's in China, whether it's with abandoned children or the homeless in the downtown east side, or people who are being trafficked in Cambodia, I don't know what your path is, but I do know that you are called to be in this race, to grasp hold of that baton and to run. Every person that has ever followed where Jesus has led them has faced the challenge challenge of relinquishment. Diane, the lady holding the baby that you saw in that first image, do you think it's easy for her to live in Hanyang, China? She's left behind her children. She's left behind her grandchildren. Her friends. The life that she's known. Oh, well, surely God would want her to be back being a good influence on her grandchildren. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. That's not what God wants for her at all at this particular point. It might not be what he wants for you either. What he wants for her right now is for her to be in China, in Hanyang, serving him in obedience to what he's called her to do. That's what she's doing. She's running the race. She's not put the baton down and said, let me go give my grandkids a hug. There's nothing wrong with hugging your grandkids. If that is the place and the, 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 what God is calling you to do at that point. She doesn't put it down to go do that. She's just hold of the baton and she's ran that race with tears streaming down her face at times because of the knowledge that she's missing out on some of the life of her grandchildren. And yet she's doing it in obedience and faithfulness. Do you know that when missionaries went to Africa about 150 years ago, do you know how they packed their belongings? Any ideas? They packed them into a coffin. They packed them into a coffin. Why? 
because they knew they were going to need that coffin to be buried in. Because the majority of them that went before the invention of antibiotics and antimalarials died within a reasonably short period of time. But they knew that they had been called, they knew that the baton had been given to them to run and to take the word of God to Africa and to see the kingdom of God established in that place. And so they went. They packed their belongings. And could you imagine doing that today? I'm not talking about a cruise to Alaska. But when you're going to, you know, you're going off somewhere and you think to yourself, right, I better pack my stuff into this coffin because it's what I'm going to be buried in. Oh, well, surely they shouldn't put themselves in harm's way. I mean, that's just foolish, isn't it? Really? I mean, come on. I mean, that's not being a responsible person at all. Yet those missionaries knew the exact same thing that the lady on the screen, Diane, knows. That God stands on the brink of eternity, speaking into time, into this moment now, saying, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? Diane knows the plight of the lost. She knows the heart of Jesus and the passion of Jesus. And that that's where he's gone. He's gone. He's running. He's there. She wants to follow him. She wants to grab the baton from his hand and go and follow and run that race. And so did those missionaries that went to Africa. Even if it meant they could only live for maybe six months or twelve months preaching the word of God. It's interesting, isn't it, today, that the greatest growth that we see in the church in the world is in Africa and in Asia. Funny that it doesn't seem to be happening so much here. So look at the declining numbers of believers that open their heart to God to serve as missionaries and pastors today. I see two futures, two possible futures for the church of God and for the world. In one, the lost remain lost. The hungry remain hungry. The hopeless that seek hope, they seek it everywhere and they never find it. The church continues to be filled with people who sit there wondering, is popcorn and soda really it? Is this it? Is this the Christian life? They live in kind of grayscale rather than technicolour. A life that somehow seems less than it could be and not quite as it should be. And we wonder why we don't see revival and why the lost aren't somehow staggering over the threshold of the church and falling down at the front of the church and repenting and saying, God, I need you. We wonder why we see a breakdown of society, where we become more and more irrelevant to society, or even worse, we don't even think about it anymore. We just sit in our pews and we're kind of numb. That's one possibility that I see for the world and the church What a horror story that sounds to me, frankly speaking. What a disaster. What a tragedy. But isn't the other possibility? What amazing glory. The lost around the world and across the street. In the other possibility, they see Jesus everywhere. They see him everywhere. They see him in the jungles of Africa and in dusty villages. They see them in the downtown of Vancouver. They see him in tribes and cities and in orphanages. They hear a gospel that is being lived out in front of them. They feel the gospel in the arms that hold them. And the church, the church is the agent of change. The church is the one that stands up and says, enough. That's not continuing anymore. 
We're not going to see little babies that have HIV being thrown in the corner. We're not going to tolerate it because that's not what Jesus would do. Jesus is running into that situation and I'm going with him and I'm going to grab hold of that baton and I am going to go and I am going to go for it with my life and I am going to be part of making a difference, not by my own strength, but by the power of God. In this version of the future, people who don't want to make commitments find themselves making a commitment and living their lives for a mission and a cause. They stop thinking about two weeks and six months and a year and they go for five years and ten years. They give their lives. In this vision of the future in the church, those people that wanted the big house find themselves living in the dusty village in Africa and they can't understand the joy that they've got. They can't understand how they could have possibly thought that was going to be all that they could want. In this version of the future, the church is populated with people who have brought their five loaves and two fish and said, this is it, Jesus, this is all I've got. And they give it to him and he takes it and he blesses it and he breaks it and it is enough for the people to be fed. Two visions of the world and the church. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? Well, that's determined by you. You. As an individual and as a church corporate, but by you. You see, your choice is not irrelevant. You might think it is, but it is not irrelevant. Your choice is critical. The life that you live is essential. Without it, that vision of the future that one that is vibrant and filled with life, a church at the front of society, not trying to catch up saying, hey, we're here and we're still relevant, we really are, look at our worship songs, they're really, really popular and modern these days. It's a church that leads society, not one that's trying to get conformed into it. Your choice is not irrelevant. Jesus had to make a decision to go, to leave the comfort of heaven. Diane had to make a decision to go to leave the comfort of Australia. I'm not saying that it has to be China. Hear me. What I'm saying is it's about getting on track. It's about grasping hold of that baton and living that life that takes you where God can use you. And maybe it is an orphanage in China. Maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe it's the downtown east side. Maybe it's your own neighbourhood or your workplace. I don't care where it is, frankly speaking. The church needs you to run that race, to go wherever he sends you, whether it be across the street or around the world. And maybe it will take you to China. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? This cry echoes out across the church this morning. That little girl, Yuen Yuen, how much longer could she have waited? The little Downs girl, emaciated. That photo was taken probably about two and a half years ago. Would you just pop up the last photo for me there, please? I caught them by surprise. They weren't expecting me to say that. Can we go to the next one? There we go. We just celebrated our 20th. There she is. That's her. You see the little chubby girl in the front? She looks kind of happy. She kind of looks like her life got saved. 
I was taken the day before a family came from America to pick her up, her forever family, and take her home to give her the life that God has destined her to live. That's the stark difference right there. The black and white emaciated child, and then someone says, Here I am, Lord, send me. That was Isaiah's response in Isaiah 6. Here I am, Lord, send me, and this is the result. This is the result of what the Dianes do. This is the result of what you can do. The lives that can, can be transformed. That girl will live out her life and will be a joyous testimony of God's salvation because somebody chose to go. It's time to put down popcorn and soda and it's time to look again and see that there is a hand outstretched to you offering you a baton. And it's time to take it. Time to start playing, stop playing around and time to start running a race and to pursue God. You may say, I don't know what he wants me to do and where he wants me to go. Pursue him. Do not let him go until he tells you because he will. I know he will. And make your life count for eternity. Live a noble life. Live a committed life. Live something better than the life perhaps that you're living now that causes you to think, is this it? Live a life that is more than money, career and job and husband and wife and kids. Live a life that says, Lord, here I am. Send me. Okay, will you bow your head in prayer, please?